the scripture this morning is from Matthew, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along in your pew Bible on page 2 or the large print edition on page 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do not presume bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to thank you, Brother Doug, for reading the scripture with authority. Um, sometimes uh, people, they don't mean any harm, but they're, they're sort of messing around with it. They don't get the accent on the right syllable. And, uh, but I want you to know you did not mess around with it this morning. Uh, you, you have my attention, Lord. And uh, my dear friends, it's a great joy and a privilege for me to be with you on uh, this Sunday morning, it would be a privilege even if it weren't your big birthday party at 175. You look well for 175, uh, not as worn as you might be, and I'm grateful to be with you, grateful to be with Pastor, Pastor Gus and uh, with all of those, and in a mysterious and mystical way, to be with those uh, that are no longer Whitney's of glory who I imagine are leaning over uh, the balconies of glory, urging us on in the work. And so a few weeks ago, you no doubt sang something like, for all the saints who from their labors rest, or you read a passage from uh, the book of Hebrews that said, seeing then that we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. So thanks be to God for all who have labored here before you, before me, 
and uh, thanks be to God in advance for those who will uh, come after us to take up this work. But most of all, I'm grateful for you this day for the ways in which you have continued uh, to pick up the baton and to carry on the legacy that you have, you have inherited. For all of the ways that you have been shiningly faithful to Jesus Christ uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to the church writ large, to uh, the various iterations of United Methodism and the United Methodist Church in this, this era. We give you thanks, O oh God, for these your people at Church of the Cross in Kettering, Ohio. The Lord be with you. Grant, O oh God, in this moment and in all the moments of our lives, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might indeed find acceptance in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want you to know that the gospel reading that you just heard, while I'm perfectly comfortable preaching it, some of you may have picked up on the idea that it might be not be the passage you would have selected for a birthday party. Am I, am I right about that? That may not, you know, brood of vipers, you know, axe laid to the root of the tree. So um, just to make myself feel a little better, I want you to know that it is, however, in the Revised Common Lectionary, the lectionary gospel for this day. And it is appropriate, I believe, that even though, or perhaps because of, this being your 175th church anniversary, that we would hear the gospel, that we would not try to manage some warm, fuzzy, cute passage of scripture. And there are some comforting and warm, fuzzy passages of scripture. But that we might squarely look the gospel in our face, in the face, even as the gospel looks us in the face. Sometimes uh, we talk about reading the scriptures. I know I'm going deep, even if it's only for short periods of time in my own discipleship, when I sense that the scripture is reading me. And maybe a 175th church anniversary, a birthday party, is a great time a magnificent time to hear this gospel reading for the second Sunday in Advent, which I did not want to pass by the opportunity, nor did your pastor want to pass by the opportunity of missing the meaning of this particular season. And so these things sort of come together in a magnificent way. That's what we preachers, we try to do. That's the craft, that's the art, hopefully the skill, to take some of the days that we have managed and created around celebration and to say, how do they align with the narrative of Scripture? And so this gospel reading is about John the Baptist. And so you, you've been conjuring up across the year uh, all of these ways of celebrating. You've been remembering people. You've been reading about people. You've been hearing stories about people that you have never met that were laboring in this vineyard, in this wider community in behalf of the gospel before you were even a thought in your mother or father's mind, let alone a little zygote in utero. Somebody labored here before you. 
And so we come to this second Sunday in Advent and we have invited all of these guests. I heard a reference to guests from a long way away. Some people have come back to this church for this celebration and have done so across the year. And here comes old peculiar, awkward John the Baptist coming at things slant, almost as an uninvited guest. But I think every God party and every kingdom celebration ought to have some uninvited guests. In fact, I think if there's anything that the church, and I don't mean this about you in particular, but more broadly that we don't do well, is that we mostly talk to ourselves. And we mostly care about ourselves, not because we don't care about others or anyone else, but we're kind of concerned about what's right in front of us. I get that. I care. As I catch myself, what if I wanted for all of the children of the world and would work at for all of the children of the world, all of the children that God loves, what I want and what I've worked at for my own children? And so I need the uninvited guests who come or the guests who would not have been on my A list. They may not have even been on my B list. They may not have even been on my C list. They may not have even been the fourth backup plan that if these folks can't come, we'll get these folks to come. And here comes John the Baptist in the wilderness. Nobody invited him except the Spirit of God shook him. He sensed that the mantle and the call that was upon his life had to do with an ancient prophetic word, Isaiah 40. Read it when you get a chance if you don't already have it memorized on the inside. That there will come one who is like a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that's a word that we need to hear. Even when we think we already know what we're doing, even when the agenda is a party and a celebration and a birthday party at that, and we should celebrate mightily and thank God for all that God has done. But to hear the voice that says to us, prepare the way, is our way, if we pay attention, of positioning or pray God repositioning ourselves. To say, God, What's next? The voice that says, prepare the way, is always bidding us into the future. And so you've spent a year, understandably and rightfully so, there are people here in this congregation who, because of your 175th celebration, now understand better the heritage which is theirs, the shoulders upon which they stand. You've been combing your way through your history and even before those 175 years ensued, somebody was laboring to tell the stories of the gospel. And now that you've got your historical and I pray your missional and I pray your evangelistic and I pray your transformational bearings, 
the question always for churches is God, what's next? What are you calling us to do, not as we look back over our shoulders as we occasionally do, but what are you calling us to see from our past and to look into our future? Who and what are you calling us to be and to do? And so rather than see John the Baptist as a kind of an awkward intrusion, perhaps it is his voice that we need to hear at this birthday party and on this second Sunday in Advent, which is an even bigger scale conversation. How do we listen and pray and prepare ourselves for our and God's best next. Who will you be 175 days from now? Is the question that this awkward, though Fred Craddock, now deceased, who was professor of homiletics at Candler School of Theology at Emory University for years, said this was the most widely known preacher of his age. Isn't it interesting? John the Baptist, he ate locusts and wild honey. He covered himself with animal skins. And he came, some people believe, out of the Dead Sea community and came crying in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. I kind of like him. I mean, some of his words are a little edgy. They make me uncomfortable. I hope I'm not a part of the brood of vipers. But I like the idea that somebody trusts God enough. Watch this. The text did not mess it up. The writer caught just what God wanted them to catch. In the wilderness, in the desert, came the word of the Sometimes we look upon the desert seasons, the wilderness seasons, the dry seasons, the difficult seasons, the challenging seasons. Oh, by the way, did you know that United Methodism was in a challenging, what some people have described as a wilderness season? I listened recently at the Council of Bishops meetings to one of my colleagues, who's, who's a friend of mine as well. I, I don't want to let on that all of my colleagues and peers are are good friends. I mean, we're, you know, we're just church in another way in the Council of Bishops, just like y'all. And he tearfully declared <laughs> the pain in his heart. He stood and poured himself out for a few moments. It was after another discussion and the tears streamed down his eyes. His voice cracked. It was the crack of the pain of loss and grief and bereavement. And he said, we're in a wilderness. We're in a wilderness. All of us heard him. We felt him. We sympathized and we empathized with him because in all likelihood, the terminology, the metaphor, of wilderness and desert are exactly the right way to frame our ecclesial situation. But I kept stewing on that thing. 
I kept working on that thing. At first, it kind of took me down emotionally and spiritually, and then it dawned on me, I hope it was from the Holy Spirit, well, while I would not choose the inhospitality of the wilderness, actually what's wrong with being in the wilderness, is there any better place and any better time to hear the voice of God? And has God ever shown up and spoken in a wilderness time before? And then, bless God, I opened up my Bible. It, it's actually very dangerous to read it. Don't open it if you don't want to know what it says. And I looked at the children of Israel. What does the Bible say? God led them where? Through the wilderness. Hmm. God is doing. Baptist appears and he proclaims the new and fresh thing God is doing. But where does the text begin that our brother read? In the wilderness, he declared. Out in open space where Maybe nobody was listening to him. Maybe all the way from the Dead Sea. Maybe. I don't know exactly. As he moved toward a more populated area, he was just speaking over and over and over and over again. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. 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 Out of trust and faith and obedience. And then people started showing up. <laughs> And he started baptizing and they started confessing and repenting and positioning and repositioning themselves for God's new thing. If God's about to drive a new highway through here, I want to be a part of it. And people were saying by their acts of repentance and confession, in effect, God, you can put that inner state of spiritual life and transformation right through my life. The desert, the wilderness. Oh, you don't have this much time, but let me just drop it on you. In the three synoptic gospels, that would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. After Jesus is baptized, what happens? The Bible says, the gospel says, the spirit led, one translation says, drove Jesus. This is the same Jesus that the voice had just spoken, the spirit had descended upon, and the spirit and the voice said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The spirit drove Jesus into where? The wilderness. So I'm not mad at my colleague who cried, who expressed pain, but I'm rethinking this wilderness thing. That maybe it's in the wilderness, in the desert, in the place where we become and open ourselves to be utterly dependent of, on God that we can get the answer to the question of what's next. And saying, God, if you are preparing a new way, if a highway is going to come through the wilderness, I want to be right there when the earth movers come so that I can be a part of walking upon that new road. Sometimes we hear the words repentance, repentance, 
as a mournful thing. And some of us, let me say me, I've got many things to mourn, mostly my sins and shortcomings. I, I looked at you, you, you look so good and pristine and clean, you're just sanctified as John Wesley imagined you would be. So I know there's no other sinners in here this morning but me, but, but, but just let me speak in the first person. That way you can't say, you know, he came and he just talked so mean to us, like, like John the Baptist. <laughs> I mean, I'm into winning friends and influencing people after all, but, but, but for me, I've got a few things I wish had been different. That's one way to look at repentance and confession, and it is not inappropriate. You do what you need to do all joking aside. But what if, like Advent, repentance is about a clearing of the way? That anything that's been in the way, whether or not it's a sin, or whether or not it is simply the misguidedness of our idolatry, sometimes we, we're kind of stuck on ourselves. And we need to get out of our own way personally, socially, institutionally so that God and God's kingdom program can unfold more fully and freshly in our lives. So watch this. John says, I baptize you with water. Hmm? He says, but there's somebody coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to latch or unlatch. And that one who comes after me, this, this is Advent expectation and anticipation, will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. It was John's way of saying, you think this is good? John was saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think 175 years is something to be celebrated? And the answer is yes. But the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning through John the Baptist and Gregory Palmer, you stick around a little while longer. You haven't seen nothing yet. God is not through. God didn't stop when you hit your 175. God is allowing you this year to party, to celebrate, to remember, to reposition yourself because you're getting a line for the next thing. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving in the church in spite of anything you think and your opinions and moving in the world in awesome ways. This is a great time to be a Christian. It's a great time to be a United Methodist. You know why? Because we got to go back to work again. Mainline Protestant churches, we thrive on a farm system. And we call that farm system Sunday school, we called it youth group until we hit the wall where now we are, there is a growing number of people 
who you can no longer stand in front of and say, you know the story. I'm not hating on them because I love to tell the story. So I don't assume anything, particularly when I engage people who have not had a connection recently or over a long period of time with the church or with the Christian faith. That's what we're in here to do week after week, day after day, choir rehearsal after choir rehearsal, meeting after meeting. We're in the process of storying ourselves. And as we look at what God has done, not only in the Bible, but in our own 175-year history, that storying prepares us to in the power of the Holy Spirit in writing the next chapter. So your work for the next 175 days, Brother Pastor, is to lead these people called Church of the Cross. I met the lay leader this morning. You ought to be a part of the leadership team. In writing the next chapter of the book of Acts, I mean, why not? Could it be 175 years from now in the same way in which we read the Bible and people will be reading it for a long time to come? They will look back at the history of this church and they say, we watched a community of people through their growth, their transformation, their ups and their downs. And we watched them seize in the power of the Holy Spirit a future that no one could have imagined except God. I'll be watching. And while I hope not to be leaning over the balconies of glory, but sitting in my office in Columbus or in some other church near here, I'll be hoping to urge you on and encourage you and to say I was there in 2019 at the 175 when they cleared the decks for the new God interstate that led them and the work of the kingdom into a most glorious future. In the name of God who creates, who redeems, and who despite all appearances to the contrary, in this very hour is making all things holy. Amen.